0: friends and welcome back to doable discipleship as you know it's a saddleback church podcast designed to help you deepen your faith or as linda loves to call it
1: it's the show that helps you grow
0: be honest you really get pepped up when you say that i do like it's it's what puts you in the mode to to start potting right
1: right? i mean i'm excited about this i'm excited about helping people grow
0: (laughs) <laughs> um friends uh, I'm Jason this is Linda we're on the spiritual growth team here at Solabeck Church and over you know over the years we've been doing this podcast for 5 years now over the years we've got to interview a number of different people um really fun topics really getting to dig into people's stories and testimonies and I've been convicted a little bit that <laughs> You know, we've never talked about our own stories, right. our, our own. You know,
1: how did we get here?
0: Exactly. Just, just the things that ha- that we have gone through, the ways that we've seen God work. We've may have peppered things into different conversations here or there, but we've never actually gotten to do that. So, this week and next week, we're going to be doing this uh, special thing. Where today I'm going to interview Linda about <laughs> about her life, and then. Next week, she'll uh, turn the tables and interview me. So uh, we just thought that it'd be kind of a a fun opportunity and for you to get to know us better so that when we're having conversations and we're uh, doing different interviews or teaching episodes or whatever it is, you're, um, you know, have a bit more context of where we're coming from too. So uh, we'll see how this goes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Here we go. Unscripted.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It'll be fun. Uh, So Linda. Yes. Tell me a little bit about your um, your upbringing, about, about your childhood. What was your childhood like?
1: Okay. So both my parents were believers. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents actually met at Forest Home Camp when they were... Hey! I know, right? You know Forest Home. <laughs> well, I think many of our listeners do. <laughs> um, so uh, my parents, like I say, both believers. And so I was raised in a home that, you know, we went to church every Sunday and, but... Um, and, you know, they love the Lord, and all of my early earliest memories are, you know, centered around, you know, church life and, and all of that. But then my father got sick when I was five, and so he was diagnosed with brain cancer. So from diagnosis to his passing was about 18 months. So that was a really challenging time in the 70s. Um, Hmm. There weren't, I'm giving away my age, friends. <laughs> but in the seventies, there weren't the grief support and the, yeah. and the, um, just the resources for now a single mom with two little girls. Hmm. Um, you know, just what do you do? So we ended up moving from the little Presbyterian church we were going to, to a much larger church, um, in our community that had more resources, And so I, I still, you know, my mom was very committed to her faith. And even though there was a lot of challenges during those years, um, just being a, you know, a struggling family, my mom was a dental hygienist. That's Mm. not, for those who don't know, that is not an incredibly lucrative career, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, and so she supported me and my sister and, you know, God was faithful and, and provided for us all of those years. So I was continued to be raised in the church and I was involved in every ministry. I was in choir. I was in youth counseling. I was a camp counselor. Yeah.
0: Um. So, so when your dad passed, do you remember seeing seeing people come and support you guys, or or what was what was that like? I I, I know you said that the church that you were at didn't have necessarily the resources, but is that something that you remember seeing? Is other people coming in, or is that kind of what? What led to the church move?
1: Yeah, it was interesting. So up to the point that my father passed, I don't have memory directly, but... I
0: mean, you were seven.
1: actually, <laughs> Yeah, six. Six. Um, what I But my mom told me that the pastor of that church had been very... Like he had come to the hospital and prayed mm. with our family. But death and dying even was very different in the 70s than it is now. You know, sure. people hospice at home and everybody gathers at the home mm. and... So there's a different kind of presence yeah. um, during that period of my life. I don't recall like church people showing up to care for My mom had to find a babysitter so she could go to the hospital because we were too little mm-hmm. to be allowed in. Um, and so I think that was part of it. Our, our community kind of, there wasn't community at our church. Mm-hmm. Like church was a place we went and engaged with and served, but. Like there wasn't the community piece, you know, coming out to our home to care for us. So after that happened, I think my mom just felt, she felt disconnected from the community or from the church that was there. And then we were just, you know, we just felt lost. And so as she sought out wisely, like, okay, I need more than what I'm getting that's, I think, what drove us to, to find another church. And then that church really came around us. And I remember my mom getting involved in groups. And then she was a piano player. And we had a, this big grand piano. And so she would always, they'd always be at our house. And they'd mm. be singing, you know, choruses around the piano. So that's very early. I remember that that's my experience.
0: So this may be like a nature versus nurture kind <laughs> of thing. But you are a very uh, caring, nurturing person. Uh <laughs> do you think that that may that that a part of that may have come from the not getting that sort of care from other people back then and and saying like I you know I want to exude what we weren't necessarily mm. as given or maybe I mean it could be like a subconscious thing or it just could or it could be unrelated at all but I was just you know I, think I kind it's of noticed a little
1: yeah. tie <laughs> <laughs> no I think it's probably. A little bit of both. I think part of it is a reaction to knowing what it's like to go through a really dark, hard season and not have people show up. Yeah. And feeling like, okay, I don't want other people, when they go through dark seasons, to experience that. Yeah. But then I also know that my mom, I mean, she became mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that season, my grandparents, who were only living other close relatives moved up north to Northern California. So really it was me and my mom and my sister. Mm. And so we were like, that was it. Yeah. Um, We didn't have a lot of extended family. And so she was a fierce caregiver. She was protective. She was, she made sure that my sister and I had what we needed, even to the exclusion of her own. Mm. Like I remember the year that I realized that she kept providing for us, but like she hadn't bought anything new for herself in years. You know, I just it never occurred to me when you're little, you're just like, Oh, thanks, Mom. You know, then finally you're like, Oh.
0: You're like, wait, I'm 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 seeing a sacrificial love right like at full play here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: And so I was deeply formed by the way my mom cared for me and my sister. And it was, I mean, all the way up, you know, when even into junior high and high school and her just coming alongside us, whatever was required, whatever we needed she figured it out how to help us, you know, and so.
0: Yeah. So, how would you say that, 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 uh, you know, growing up without your dad and mm. then seeing your mom in that way, how do you think that has impacted the mom that you are? How do you oh. think?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm absolutely certain that I was, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my mom always told me and my sister that. Parenting was a privilege entrusted to her by God and even the hard things. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Even when she is seething upset, parenting is a privilege.
1: (laughs) But she didn't let us see that. I don't know where it (laughs) went, but that was, that was powerful for me. And so then when I had the privilege of being a mom to two kids, it was like, I knew even like that always rang in my head, even when I was like exhausted and, (laughs) and, Because my husband traveled most of the time when my kids were little. So yeah. it was a lot of times me with my kids by ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't in the same position as my mom because I still had my husband, but he was gone a lot. And um sometimes- Yeah, for
0: those of you who don't know, uh, Scott, Linda's husband, is a magician. And yes. so he does shows and conventions and different things all around the world. Right. So he so- is, yeah.
1: From the time we got married he would travel sometimes three to four days per week like he'd get home with enough time to unpack repack and leave again so we were by ourselves a lot and my mom's words and i've i've had the the joy my mom is still living Mm -hmm. and so i've had the joy of being able to tell her how her mothering impacted mine Mm -hmm. and just the fierce defense of protection of love for sacrifice for my kids That was definitely deeply impacted by the example that was set for me.
0: Mm. Now, I know that growing up without your dad is something that even today you're still processing through what that all means. Yeah. So can you share with our listeners a bit about that journey and what that's kind of been like for you? Sure,
1: sure. So not only did my dad pass away when I was so little, but there were no no men. My grandparents retired and went up north, like I said. And so there were no men in my life, no uncles, no father figures. People were like, didn't you have father figures? No, <laughs> did not. So there were no men, men that I could trust, men that I could depend on, men that I would look to for anything. It was, <laughs> it was the three of us surviving, yeah. <laughs> which um, was A beautiful thing, but it also led to some challenges when it came to my relationship with God and even my relationship with my husband. Um, With my relationship with God, you know, we talk about God as father. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we know the research that says that if you had an absent or abusive father, then it's hard to kind of imagine God as father. I struggle because I have no I mean, my, no picture. I have no picture. Like that doesn't conjure up like people are like, well, what does it feel like to be safe in your father's arms? I'm like, I don't remember. I don't Mm. know. So even, I mean, I've mentioned this before on the pod, but I've been walking with Jesus for 40 years. There was a, which is a really long time. (laughs) (laughs) There's a season in there that, you know, we'll call testimony or prodigal years, but for the most part, since, you know, since I was 12. And so, um, even now, sometimes, you know, when somebody talks to me about God, my father, I, I intellectually understand that. I can articulate it. I can feed it back to you and tell you the verses that go with it. But sometimes like, what is it emotion? Like, what is that emotional connection? Hmm. That's something I'm still trying to learn. Yeah. And yeah. then even with like my relationship with my husband, I mean, we're going on 30 years married this year. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> but There was a season where I had been working and then we went through a rough patch and the counselor was basically like, I mean, he he hit it straight. He's like, do you actually make enough money to justify the amount of time you're spending away from your house? (laughs) Because my husband was, his schedule was, he's like, you need to be on your husband's schedule. And when I told my mom that I was going to quit my job and depend 100% on my husband, (laughs) she was like, what? Yeah, <laughs>
0: unheard of back. Then. Yeah, for yeah. her, especially with her situation. Yeah, she's like, wait, <laughs> safety net. Like you have yeah. to be able to. Yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, my whole my whole growing up, going to college was not about what do you feel God calling you to do. It was if your husband dies, you need to yeah, have a plan. Course. You know, so that yeah. was. So for me to take the step of faith at that point to say, I'm going to trust God to provide through my husband, and I'm going to depend on my husband. <laughs> yeah, it was probably one of the best fights my mom and I ever had. <laughs> you know? So, oh,
0: so I think you know, for a lot of people, I'm sure there are other people who are listening who are in that who are in a similar or same situation sure. where you know that view of God as father is just kind of hard. Yeah. yeah, what are some things that you have been doing mm-hmm. to try to help? um, Help expand or grow that area and become a little bit more comfortable, you know, not just with the head knowledge of it, but with with the heart attachment for it.
1: And this, I mean, even as you're asking the question, I'm like, I'm kind of still in process. Of course,
0: and that's yeah, that's definitely.
1: And part of it is, part of it is praying for God to to just help me understand that. You know what I mean? Like I never knew that I could ask God to help me experience Do you know what I mean? Like I yeah. don't, I don't know why it didn't occur to me, <laughs> but, um, a spiritual mentor just kind of said, ask God to let you experience him that way, mm-hmm. you know? And so I've been trying to also be more mindful of watching fathers with their kids mm. and just because that's not an experience that I have firsthand so seeing godly men and i'm so blessed to be around so many godly men that are loving their families and loving their children and trying to say okay god that's how you love me and just learning kind of vicariously by yeah. watching the godly men around me
0: hmm. so going back through like the breadth of your life yes what is like maybe one or two really um a transformative experiences that mm. you've had.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow.
0: <laughs> I purposely did not tell Linda questions in advance because I wanted to be able to have this free flowing. So we'll see. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I'm blushing. Nah. Um, no, I would say I referenced that I did have a season of prodigal years yeah. and The first thing when you asked that question that came to mind was so I met Scott during that prodigal season Mm. we got married during that he was not walking with the Lord I was not walking with the Lord at that time Mm. and so we got married and you know did our first couple of years of marriage as not walking with the Lord and if any of you that have ever tried to do marriage without Jesus in the middle it is not easy Marriage with Jesus in the middle has its challenges. (laughs) (laughs) Without Jesus, it's it's a whole other Mm ballgame. And so we got to a point where, you know, I was operating out of selfishness. And, hey, you know what? God wants me to be happy. Mm -hmm. God wants me. You can't want me to be unhappy. I'm not satisfied, so I think I'm going to move on. And Scott, who, um, like I say, was not a believer at the time, He prayed and he was like, God, if you exist, this is I need you now. And so basically he got saved and came home and prayed for me. Hmm. And we had we had friends, um, Tony and Chrissy. Tony was the best man in our wedding. So it went to high school with Scott. Yeah. And Tony and Chrissy, even during my (laughs) prodigal years, I knew that everybody needed Jesus, even if I was mad at him. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, you need to go to the Harvest Crusade. So we took him to the Harvest Crusade. They got saved. They got plugged into a church. Mm. So now a year later, when Scott and I are having all these troubles, Scott reaches out to Tony, and Tony and his small group start praying and fasting for me to come back to the Lord. And through a series of just – he and Tony went to Promise Keepers, yeah. and he came home, and we had this moment where – I was still angry and and he came in from Promise Keepers and he washed my feet because that's what they talked about at Promise Keepers. And Mm. he's like, no matter what we've been through, I love you. And it was just like, after that, the walls came (laughs) down. And um, then I rededicated my life to the Lord and just seeing God's faithfulness in positioning people, you know, a year and a half before so that they'd be in a small group so they could fast and pray. Yeah. And so then we were baptized together. And I'll always remember the date. It was August 3rd, 1995. Hmm. So me as a rededication of my life and Scott um, for the first time. So
0: So how did you guys find yourselves at Saddleback? What was that journey like and getting plugged in? What was that, you know? Yeah, so
1: that's really funny. So after our sort of coming to Jesus, we went to church with our friends where they were going. And we were there for about five years. But we lived down here in Lake Forest. And that Hmm. church was up in Santa Ana. And so... We knew enough to know, people kept asking us, well, what do you think about Saddleback Church? And all we had heard yeah. was that, well, they don't carry Bibles there. You know, they don't They don't yeah. carry their Bibles. I, we were going to a <laughs> church where you you brought your Bible and your notebook and your yeah. pen every week. I mean, like that was like, if you didn't come, it was like, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so that was all we really knew. Um, we were aware of it. So we just thought, all right, we know that we should not have a secondhand opinion like, well, we've heard. Mm. So we came strictly to be able to answer the question for, from a first hand. So we came skeptical. We came in June of 2000. We were like, well, let's just go see. Yeah. We went to a service. Rick was on. He used to take the whole summer off. Mm-hmm. So like we heard Doug Fields and Lee Strobel, I think, was the first person we heard speak because okay. he was here at that time. Mm-hmm. And we came home from that service, and we sat on the couch, and we were holding the bulletin, and it was like – because we'd gone totally skeptically, like, we're just going to go check this place. Oh, they don't carry Bibles. Sure. And we came home, and we're sitting there, and I'm like, God wants us to go to Saddleback Church. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Like We <laughs> need to go. This is where God is calling us. And it was mm. the most—it was probably the first time that Scott and I together had heard God call something so specific— And so when I went back to my other church, like the following Tuesday for worship team practice, I was on the worship team. I sang every service every Mm. weekend because it it wasn't like here where we have like rotating teams. (laughs) There were four of us that did every service. And um, they were like, oh, is it because Rick Warren's there? And we were like, who? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Who's that?
2: (laughs) But because
1: we came in the summer, we didn't, you know, it wasn't a personality-driven thing. It wasn't— Well, that
0: was before Purpose Driven Life, too. Right. Oh, it was before
1: everything. And so— We, it was, God called us and it wasn't just, this is where you're going to attend. It was, this is where you're going to invest your life. Mm. This is where I want you to use your gifts. This is, and it was, it was just the most clear call that we'd ever had. And it was so cool that the Lord did it together on the same day. You know, it wasn't like one of us. And be like, "Uh,
0: I don't know. I don't want to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because it was a big
1: change. Because, I mean, I had to give notice at my other church because of my regular commitment. He ran the tech. He had to give notice. Mm -hmm. They had to replace us. And like I say, it wasn't like there were people in the wings. They had to, like, actually actively recruit somebody to fill our spots. So, you know, so that's where it started. Yeah. And then as soon as we got here, I mean, we jumped in, we joined choir, I found the women's Bible study, because by the time we got in, and we did all the classes right up front, <laughs> we're like, 101, 201, just yeah. get it all done. <laughs> we were like, because we knew God had called us here. It wasn't a question. It wasn't like, well, are we checking it out? It was like, no, this is it. Mm. This is home.
0: Wow. And uh, twenty-two years later, oh, here you Lord are. Have mercy.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, so for those of you who who don't know Linda, maybe you're listening uh, for you know a first time or something like that. Linda is is very much a doctrine like <laughs> doctrine theology like that stuff is just like her biggest point of interest. So, how did that happen? Do you think like when did the idea of you know doctrine and understanding exactly what the Bible says about this, is this, this. When did that become such a big part of your life?
1: Oh, gosh. So I think it started pretty early because not necessarily understanding all of the doctrine, but knowing that the one unchanging thing in life that you can depend on mm-hmm. is God's word. Mm. Like life may or may not go the way you think it's going to. It may go absolutely haywire, but the thing that doesn't change is God's word. Yeah. So very early on, um, that was very clear to me. Um, my mom, her favorite verse is Romans 8, 28. I mean, even in the midst of, you know, crazy, crazy things over my growing up years. You yeah. know, so she was always pointing me back. And I have to just shout out my mom because no matter what we went through, I mean, it was crazy sometimes. Yeah. She never expressed anger at God. She never was like, God has, you know, turned against us. Like she never did that. And so um, I'm grateful for that. Mm -hmm. But, But God's word and knowing that it was a dependable, unchanging, steady space in a world that is not oftentimes, that was ingrained really early. As I went through high school, um... I was probably best. If looking back, I would describe myself as a modern day Pharisee. <laughs> but I, I was anxious to learn everything that I could. Yeah. Um. But then, even as I, you know, went through my prodigal years, and then came back to the Lord, it was, I just had this sense always that, um, God's word was the thing that we needed to cling to because it was the it was the only thing that wouldn't yeah. disappoint you it was the only thing that wouldn't change so very early on i i loved studying and i loved then like i'd go to women's studies and i remember we'd sit you know in little table groups and and they'd always get to me and my one of the things I loved to do was take hard things, people, things that people were struggling with and try to simplify them and help people understand them. That was just something. And Mm. that's from the Holy Spirit. Like, I mean, I don't have any formal training in that, but that was just something that I did. And I remember people saying to me, even, well, I mean, when I was still afraid to stand in front of a group of people and Mm. they would say to me, have you ever considered like teaching the Bible? Like when you explain it, it makes sense. And I was like, no, because that would require getting in front of yeah. people and talking, which we all know I don't want to do. Um, and so when I came to Saddleback, you know, my heart and passion for studying God's word was still, mm. you know, quite strong. And then I discovered Foundations. And what's funny about that is that I was attending another women's study here on campus. And um, Charlotte Huntington was leading worship for Foundations. But at the time it was called Life Perspectives. Mm-hmm. And she needed an alto. So the way that God got me into Foundations was that they needed an alto. That's funny. (laughs) And so I went, and um, it was on the hardest lesson. It was the lesson on hell. Oh, great. (laughs) Yeah. So my introduction to...
0: Yeah, for those of you who don't know Foundations, Foundations is a a doctrinal course that uh, Tom Holliday and Kay Warren wrote that covers 11 core truths about the Bible. Each core truth has two sessions to it. So, when she, as, as Lynn was talking about uh, in hell, that's in the afterlife uh, core truth. Oh, yes. This is Talk good about, context. Anyway. Yeah. Thanks, Jason. There you go.
1: There it is. Um, but when I heard Kay teach it, you know, I'd always understood the value of truth, but she demonstrated truth c- delivered compassionately, wisely, but with application. Yeah. And, That to me was novel. I'd never really put together all that we knew with how to live in Mm -hmm. response to what we knew. I just was accumulating knowledge. And Foundations was the first time that it was like, oh, (laughs) yeah, life application, who would have thought? And so from there, my study and my passion took kind of a turn because I ended up as that class as Life Perspectives became Foundations and then through a series of events, I ended up taking over that class Mm -hmm. and- um, For how long? (laughs) So I took it over towards the end of 2004 and I shepherded it through 2015 and then I was gone for a year and then I came back in another two, three years. So a little while. Yeah,
0: altogether it was like 16 years, I think, of something, your (laughs) involvement with Foundations. Let's not undersell it, Linda. Yeah, well, (laughs) okay, fine. So
1: I may have taught it a lot. But it's because I know, and because I've seen, you know, Pastor Rick always talks about, well, I'm addicted to life change. When I see people who've walked with Jesus for a long time, like I had, when they suddenly make the connection between what God's word is saying and how that can transform their lives, Mm -hmm. and their eyes light up and they're like, I had no idea. And I'm like, yes, (laughs) go forth. (laughs) And so for me, it was like, if they let me do it now, I would do it now. Yeah. I love it. And I love seeing how people's lives are transformed by yeah, by doctrine.
0: And let's be so. clear, you still do shepherd f- foundations here. I do. We're just trying to do it in different
1: ways. Right, but yes. <laughs> right. But any opportunity to help people, because I think that people that have walked with Jesus a long time often know a lot of Bible stories and they know a lot of verses, but they haven't knit that together into a well-thought-out, Kind of worldview theology, like they don't know how it fits together, and they don't know how what they've learned can intersect with what they're living in and through. Yeah. So,
0: another big part of uh, of your ministry at Saddleback has been uh, as a mentor mom. Yes. So, I uh, talked to us a little bit about that. What is how? Um, why is that such an important part of? how you view ministry, oh, and sure. how has it grown you and how have you seen other people's lives change through mentoring?
1: Well, I think, okay. So first of all, being a mentor mom was one of the coolest experiences because it, number one, it brought these young women into my life that, you know, were at all different seasons in their marriages and they, most of them had really young kids and it, I mean, I just loved connecting with them. I mean the vitality and the joy um, of being with them, but also, you know, when you've walked with Jesus a long time and and your marriage has gone, you know, a season, and your kids are, my kids are twenty two and twenty five now, so I've been through a lot of those early stages and made those decisions and made a lot of the mistakes, Mm -hmm. and the joy of of that Titus two relationship of the older women, I still don't quite own older, <laughs> <laughs> the more experienced women pouring into the younger ones and the ability to walk alongside them as they navigate a world that's a little bit different than mine. Yeah. But as I said before, God's truth doesn't change. And that's what's been so cool is that, okay, they explain to me what the world is now and then we together, it's like, okay, so what, how does God's truth help us here. And a lot of the young women that I got to, to mentor, they did not have super, super close relationships with their mom. So I got to, to sort of be a surrogate in that and, and love them and encourage them. And I've had the joy of, of, you know, some of their kids call me auntie, you know, Uh, (laughs) they don't know what to call me, but (laughs) like, okay. I'm like, grandma, no, (laughs) not yet. But, um, just the joy of, into these lives and, and getting to see God in real time, turn hurts that I had mistakes that I made, you know, I mean, Romans 8, 28, it is a theme in my life. Yeah. And the fact to be able to see God take all of that, all of my heartache, all of the hardship and use it for good in the lives of the women that are, you know, in this next generation, to me, that's, like the coolest thing, because sometimes we don't get to see what God does with our hurts or Mm. what God does with our challenges. Like we know the truth. Okay, yeah, he's going to use it for good, but we're like, I don't see it. Mentoring was a way to see God bringing fruit and bringing beauty for ashes, Mm. you know, where you look at certain things and it's like, oh my gosh, those were wasted years. Those were mistakes. Like if I could do it over again, and I can't. Like that Mm. is not a thing. And yet to be able to, to share that with younger moms and say, okay, like, this is the wisdom that I would give you um, allows beauty to grow in a new generation. And to me, that's super cool.
0: What does it look like for you to rely on God in hard things? How does that take, how does that play out for you?
1: Okay. I would say, and I'm learning this too. Yeah. Um, part of it was learning to lament. In mm-hmm. other words, like, I used to have this sense that, like, cognitively, I knew that God would use things for the good. Cognitively, I knew that he would give me peace. So I didn't allow myself to feel the anger or feel the fear because I'd be like, oh, well, God, you're giving me perfect peace, so I should just not be afraid. You know, yeah. fear not. You said it 365 times, so <laughs> I shouldn't, you know, and so I'd try to, like, academic and and think my way out of those feelings and bring to God, like, well, this is what you told me I should be. So this is how I want to try to be. And what I've learned over the last couple of years is that really what God wants is our authentic self. Mm -hmm. And if we're angry or we're fearful or we're scared or we're confused. So lament has been huge for me Mm -hmm. and just learning that I can bring that level of me and not have an answer and not know the right answer and not, you know, and... I don't have to talk myself out of my pain. You know what I mean? Like I don't have to, (laughs) which sounds like when I say it out loud, like I would I should know that that's not a thing, but I can, in retrospect, I can see that for many years when something hard would happen, I would just say, well, I mean... (laughs) I know what God says, so I should be okay. Yeah, And it's like, that's, that, well, okay. God does say those things. Like I was not, gra- I was more gracious with other people in their pain than I was with me. Yeah. So lament has been one. The other one has been learning to be present with God in the moment. Like not to try to look back mm. and figure out like, what should I have done? Or what could I, I did the best I could with what I knew at the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So whatever it is, like the past is the past. And I can't try to envision all the scenarios that the future might hold because those haven't happened yet either. You know, sometimes I have been guilty of playing like the worst case scenario game where I try to emotionally play out like, well, what if this happens? What if this happens so that I'm ready if I get there? And that is not healthy. I do not recommend that. (laughs) But coming to God in the moment and saying, okay, today, God, I trust you today, God, I'm going to take the step that's in front of me, and I'm not going to try to figure out the past. I'm not going to try to figure out the future. I'm just going to be present right here. Hmm. I'm going to love the people that are in front of me. I'm not just going to think about what I'm worried about. I'm going to commit that to you, but then I'm going to try to look beyond that to who's who's in my circle today. Who can I love today? Who can I serve today? Because if when I go through hard times, my temptation is to think about, well, this is really hard, and I'm really sad or hmm. scared or whatever. And we know that the way out of... A selfish space is to serve like we you know we we hear that but the reality is that when you force your focus off yourself and onto those around you it actually changes it changes your perspective it changes your it just it literally knocks you off center so that you can engage with what God is doing and in the meantime he works in you and changes you yeah so that's been something that I've been working to do. Yeah. It sounds
0: like a big theme kind of, of your life and your walk with God is perspective change.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think I'm, I tend to get going on a path, Sure. (laughs) And it's like, it's working. Yeah. Why change it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I
0: think that's the six in you. That's the Enneagram six in you. Yes. You
1: You guys, I am a perfect six. (laughs) One (laughs) of the running refrains on our team is. You're such a six. Yeah. So yes, I am.
0: Which for those of you who don't know, a six is a loyalist. That just means that you like having things a certain way and you want to promote that certain way.
1: Yes, and especially when it comes to rules and how things are, if I can figure <laughs> out a way that works, there is no reason to change it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what God is teaching me is that often I need to let go of the fixed way that I want things to go or the comfortable way, because let's face it, when it's familiar, it gets comfortable. And when it gets comfortable, it gets easier. But then we have to trust less, right? Because now we figured it out and now we have control over it. I may or may not have control freak tendencies, (laughs) (laughs) you know, where I want, I want to manage, I want things to operate the way I expect them to. I want things to be predictable. I want to know what's coming so I can plan for it. And the season that God has had me in really over the last couple of years, you know, we talked about the fact that Scott's an entertainer. Well, COVID mm-hmm. was not friendly to the entertainment industry and especially yeah. to his business. I mean, it's finally beginning to, to come back, but here we are in the middle of 2022. Yeah. And so, um, you know, as we talked about, we came here in 2000. I only came on staff in November of 2020 and I only joined this team in May of 2021 yeah. and so after serving for
0: <laughs> after yeah being a uh, f- a lead volunteer since 2015
1: right <laughs> right so I've been here a while but like I did not see that coming yeah that was not part of my plan I was a very happy stay-at-home mom how homemaker like that was great no you know this was not on my radar at all and God the the season that I feel like I've come through, I've just labeled it disorientation because mm-hmm. I dis, I was disoriented from my roles. You know, I, my kids are 22 and 25. They don't need me as a stay-at-home mom the way yeah. they did when they were two and five. So that got disoriented by just dis, being a, a, a housewife. That, you know, being that was my primary role. No, not anymore. You know, yeah. now I'm working. And so a lot of what I leaned on as this is who I am and this is what I do. And God's like... I have something else for you. And it took COVID, which would, you know, most of us would say was the hardest thing we've all been through in a really long time. And yet that's what God used to move me and disorient me from all the things I thought to reorient me in a beautiful direction that has opened up doors I never would have imagined.
0: Yeah, and God's timing is amazing because you came on to our team like right when Brandon Robinson was yes. leaving our team, so we had no shortage of, of co-hosts for this podcast. Yes, it I, was like it, a, was, it was a smooth transition. <laughs> it worked out
1: perfectly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. So, is there uh, to wrap us up? Yep. In this part of in this uh, in this conversation, mm. is there something about God? or about your relationship with God mm. that you would want to like leave our listeners with today?
1: Wow. I think as I look over my life, the word that's just coming into my mind so clearly is his faithfulness. Um, you know, there have been a lot of things, circumstances in my life I wouldn't have chosen, didn't plan for, didn't want. Um, and yet when I look back, I can say with confidence, I would not be the person that I am today had I not gone through the things. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I have seen him provide, there's no way on a dental hygienist salary that my <laughs> mom and sister and I should have been able to keep the house. Yeah, We attended private school. I don't know how that happened. Mm. And that was just because she didn't want us to be latchkey kids in the seventies. So she's like, great, private school before and aftercare. Sure. But God has provided in so many ways. And, you know, even, I mean, just the fact that, like when I was sharing the story about our my prodigal years and, and his provision there, and other places and spaces where, I mean, the fact that when I needed a job, Brandon Robinson had to go start a church. Yeah. I was like, fantastic. <laughs> you know, I mean, but but I would never have thought that I could, do that, but God was making a way. He was providing. He was. I just finished um, a study by Ann Voskamp that talks about God always makes a way through the Red Sea. You just don't always know what that's gonna be. Yeah, you know, and it's not something you could expect, and it's not something that you could have planned for. But when you step back from your life, you can see Him making a way, mm-hmm. and He has been so faithful. So that would be overwhelming. <laughs>
0: Love it. Well, thank you for sharing, Linda. You're See, welcome. See, this to... wasn't
1: as uh, as terrifying yeah, as guess... it may have uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it may have seemed when I pitched doing this, <laughs> um, friends. It's I, I, I'm glad to learn more about. Linda. I've known you for a long time, and yeah. I'm, I'm always glad to listen and learn more. So, thank you for sharing and. Uh, yeah, I guess like, it's, it's my turn next. So yeah. next week, <laughs> the, as I said, the tables will be turned and uh, and, and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll be back uh, with another fun new episode next week. Love you. Bye. Bye.
2: If you enjoyed this episode...